Hello, um, my name's Rachel. That was a bigger step than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, but here I am. Um, so uh, at this point then, uh, every Sunday gathering, someone will get up here and read from this book. Um, if you don't have one of these with you, somebody will share with you, or you can look this up on your phone. Um, uh, it's a whole collection of uh, historical narrative, and there's poetry in here. There's letters in here. Um, there's philosophy in here. There's everything in here that you need to live and to really live. And we read from it as all, we can read from it every day. Uh, men died so that we could have this in our language. Um, and that's only a tiny part of the story of this book. So uh, every week, um, probably Andrew or a guest will come and unpack what we read together. So we're going to read, so I'm going to ask you to open it up at First uh, John. And uh, this is, uh, you can just listen to this if you can't see it written down, because this is a letter that would have been read out. It wasn't photocopied and handed out, you know, to the early church. It was read out and people just listened and then wanted to hear it again and again and again and again because you will never get to the bottom or the end of what all of this is about. Um, but Andrew's going to get up and we'll give him about 50 minutes to see what he's got on it. <laughs> so let's, uh, I'll read it and you just hear it and look at it and let's, and then I'll pray and then Andrew will get up, Okay. So 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to start at the first verse. We're just reading the first four. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Father, these words are amazing. From the beginning... And we want to meet with you here, Lord. We want to hear your voice. We want to know your presence. We want to leave here changed by having met with you. And we know that you speak. So we're asking that you give us ears that we can hear. And soft hearts, Lord, that are really open to you to what you want to say to us today. So we ask, Lord, that you would help Andrew when he gets up here. Thank that you have helped him prepare um, this for all week or weeks to bring this message to us, Lord. Help him. But Lord, help us not just to hear him. We want to hear you. So speak, Lord, and minister here among us, Lord, and within us. And change us for eternity. We just come to worship you, Lord, and help us worship you with all our hearts and with all our minds. As we hear these words explained to us. And we ask this so that Jesus himself might be glorified in this place and in our lives. Help us, Lord. Help Andrew. Lord, we're waiting in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I just want to say, uh, oh, sorry, Adam, that's your music away. I just want to say, um, apparently someone's very small. Uh, I'll echo what Lucas said um, in terms of welcome. Uh, I know that a lot of you are here, friends and family here to support us as we start out doing this thing. Um, and you guys are really, really welcome. Um, but to two kind of groups of people that Lucas mentioned, I also want to give special attention to. Uh, we are part of a network called Acts 29. 
uh, which is a church planting network, right? Um, if you know your Bible, you know there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. Um, and this is called Acts 29 because we're continuing the work that started in the book of Acts, right? We still live in those days. We live in these last days. What, what, what Paul said are the last days. Um, and, and so uh, we seek to plant more and more churches to spread the name of Jesus. Um, and uh, the wonderful thing about being part of this family of churches is that uh, we have brothers and sisters from all around the world. Um, in particular, uh, this week we have had 10, well, 12, let's not forget the two kids. Um, we had 12 brilliant people from Foothill Church in California. Um, so they, they don't understand why they can't see the sun right now. Um, there was this much blue sky the other day, and I said, that's a good day. So um, I was getting my T-shirt off and all. Um, yeah, Foothill Church in California, they've supported us financially. They've supported us prayerfully. Um, some of their, uh, what they call growth groups, we call missional communities. Uh, two of those are adopting our church this year to pray for us and be in touch with us. Uh, relationships have been built up between individuals this week, and it's just great to see. Um, and they've, I just want to say this, uh, a week ago, literally a week ago, this place looked like a building site, and that's not an exaggeration. There was no carpet. Uh, there was rubbish all over this floor. The, the whole place just looked like a, a building site. And I didn't think we'd be ready in time. And then these 12 people from California turned up. So if you're from Foothill, can you please stand up? And I want everyone to turn around and look at them. Can we give them a round of applause? Um, we, we, we really couldn't have done this without you. And, and I think that... Maybe I uh, underestimated what you would have to do this week, and maybe you weren't really prepared <laughs> to do, um, but we had Patrick who built a coffee bar, and uh, we had people who were putting up things in the walls and painting and cleaning toilets and, and digging out drains outside, and, and you guys have just been amazing, so thank you so much. And this is just the start of our partnership, right? This isn't, and, and even if we never see each other again in person, right, well, we will. But, but if, even if we never do, we know that we'll be together forever in kingdom come. So uh, the other group that's here, I want to uh, uh, make mention of as well. There's, there's folks here from another supporting church, uh, for, for Reston Community Church, um, uh, particularly Liz and Gentry have come. Gentry's one of the pastors there. Um, and this feels like home for, for them, I think. Um, and I certainly feel that way for them. And there's other folks from Reston here this morning as well. Um, and those guys support us prayerfully. They pray for us by name. Uh, they support us financially. And we couldn't do what we're doing. So, I mean, I said this when I was in your church. You guys are planting a church in Belfast. And it's a really special thing. So thank you. And, and, and Jacob at the back. And other, I think other people I haven't met yet. Um, so thank you all. Uh, we're incredibly blessed to be here. Um, as Rachel said, we're just gonna, every Sunday we're just going to read the Bible. And we're going to unpack it. Right, because for us at this church, we believe that this book is actually the Word of God. Right, and not not something that was just written a long time ago about God, but actually God speaking to us. Right, so so Paul describes it as being God breathed. It's literally the words of God coming to us on His Spirit, and we need this. We this is how God has chosen to reveal Himself. So what we'll do for, on Sundays is we'll we'll go through books of the Bible at a time. And we'll go through big chunks of this and we'll break it down and we'll work out what God's saying to us and how he wants us to live. And more importantly, what he has done for us. And we'll see that later on. Um, and then as we gather in each other's homes throughout the week, we're going to do that again. We're going to take what we talked about on Sunday and we're going to start applying that to our lives. And we're going to talk about, well, how do, how, I, I, what, this says this, how do, I, how do I make that work for me? What, is, what does this mean for me as I live my life and I face the challenges that are particular to me and go through the challenge of life? And we're going to start off on this journey um, with this letter, First John, uh, so uh, and we'll get into that uh, uh, the, the background behind that in a wee bit. Um, and this series is called Vital Signs, and we'll talk about that later as well. But I want to start by uh, telling you, uh, well, it's not really a story, but kind of. Um, a few weeks ago, Haley and I were on holidays. We'd been in Canada for a while, and then we went to Washington D.C. and we were staying with friends, and it was amazing. And we had maybe a couple of hours before we had to get to our flight. And so we did two of my favorite things in the world. We went to, uh, right before our flight, went to Chick-fil-A, which is just incredible, obviously. That's like if you're, yeah, it's like your last meal before you leave America. Brilliant. Um, but before that, we went to the National Air and Space Museum. Um, so I don't know, if, if, if you know me, you might know that I love space. 
Uh, I said to Haley, was it yesterday or the other day, I'm, a, I'm a, like a closet nerd. And she was like, I don't think you're as closet as you think you are. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm a closet nerd. No one knows about it. And, and in this museum, they have the actual space shuttle discovery. This, ma- this machine that went to space tens of times, they actually took stuff up in it to build the International Space Station, right? And, and when, I was, when I was young, I used to have a poster of this on my wall. If I wasn't married, I probably still would. And uh, this, this space shuttle. And, and so what happened was I went in there, and I, was, I just stood looking at it for ages. And I think Haley knew what was going on. She just let me, left me to it, and I was just standing looking at this thing. And I got emotional. Because this thing's been in space. Like, it's this thing that I've been uh, marveling at or wondering at, the engineering of it, the aerodynamics of it, the whole thing is just incredible. Um, and one of the other aspects of like, space that I love is this. I, I'm fascinated at the minute with the idea that we're going to go to Mars. I say we, like I'm going to go. I would go if I was allowed, but um, people are going to go to Mars. That's happening. But what they're doing leading up to that is they're sending machines up, they're sending robots up to, to, to prepare the way. And one of the things they're doing right now, so in 2020, NASA are launching a, a, another mission. It's going to send a wee robot up, and it's going to look for life on Mars, right? Uh, and the way that they look for life is they look for the signs of life. Because where there is life, life leaves traces. Where there is life... There are signs of life, things that point to the fact that life is there. So this is really nerdy. Uh, on Mars, what they're going to look for is they're going to look for, uh, you know, indentations and marks on the rocks to see if there may have been water running through there ages and ages ago, or uh, really nerdy, fossilized bacteria. It's really exciting stuff. It is. Fossilized bacteria. Who, did, who thought you were going to talk about that this morning? Uh, and... Uh, but the point being that the way they try to discern if there's life there or there had been life there, they look for the signs of life. And this is what John is doing in this letter. He's saying where there is true life, where there is the life of Christ in the church, there are signs of life, things that indicate that life is present. And that's what we're going to look at as we move through over the next six weeks through this letter that was written a long time ago. John uh, was an apostle. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. So even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you might know, you might have heard of the 12 disciples. He was one of those guys. And he wrote the Gospel of John. So he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the three letters that are also in the New Testament. And what happened was, uh, after Jesus went back to heaven, he ascended into heaven, um, John stayed in Jerusalem. And after the day of Pentecost and some of the disciples start moving out and spreading out and spreading the word, John stayed in Jerusalem and ministered there and pastored there and worked in the church there. And actually, Paul says in Galatians that, he became, that, that John was a pillar of the church. So John was this incredibly important, uh, influential person. And then he let, when Jerusalem was destroyed um, in AD 70, uh, it seems like he left and went to Ephesus. Now, you might have heard of Ephesus because we have the book of Ephesians, right? Which is a letter that Paul wrote to that church. And Paul had planted that church about 20 years before this book is written. So, um, we see here that John is in Ephesus. Uh, he's an old, old man by this stage. He's probably the last living apostle at this point in his life. He's a really old guy. And he's using his base in Ephesus. He's part of the church to influence all the churches in that area. He's speaking to the churches in what is now modern-day Turkey, uh, Asia Minor. And he's, he's, he's teaching them, and he's writing letters to them, and he's trying to encourage them. And he stayed there until he died. And, and actually, what Rachel said is absolutely right. These letters were, were written, and they were read out, out loud. They're circular letters. They're called um, circular letters because they're circulated around the churches. And someone will get up and be like, hey, John sent us a letter. We're going to listen to this today. This is John teaching us. You know, wise old John, he's teaching us today. And he'd read these things out. And that's why we're reading this morning. But it was that when he was writing this letter, he was too old to go around preaching. But it was a really, he had to do something because it was a really difficult time for the church. Not only was there loads of persecution happening, but also there was a load of false teaching going around. And that concerned John. There was false teaching specifically about Jesus, about who Jesus was, about who Jesus is. And we'll look at that in some more detail. But my point is this, where there's false teaching about Jesus, there's no life in the church. Because Jesus is the point of the whole thing, right? We're only here because of Jesus. That's why we're here. And so John wanted to set them straight. He wanted them to have the the right foundation. So as we go through this book, John's kind of getting back to basics. And he's saying, this is what we believe about who Jesus is. And that's why 
we're starting here. That's why we've decided to start in this book. Start going through this book because we're getting back to basics. Because if we don't build this church, well, if we don't play our part in building this church, God's building this church, if we don't play our part in building this church with the right foundation, then it's not going to last. We need to be sure about who Jesus is because Hebrews says he is the author and finisher of our faith. So we need to know who we're believing in. And I think that, uh, well, certainly I come across a lot of false teaching about Jesus. I'm sure you do too. So just the other day, I had someone saying to me, um, that's great that you have your faith. That's really cool. I'm glad it works for you, you know, but that's irrelevant to me. I don't need that. Like, or you might have heard things like, Jesus wasn't really the son of God, was he? I mean, no one, I don't think anyone around still uh, would exist or would deny that he existed because there's evidence for that. But, but, but most people say, yeah, he was just a, a good man. He was a good teacher. Or, or some people might say, listen, uh, you know, religion and faith, that was just for the olden days. We're beyond that now. We have science. We know how the universe started. We know, we, know, we know what we need to know. We don't need faith. We don't need all these things. And, and I think that we need to be aware that we get influenced by that kind of thinking, don't we? Even as Christians who are part of a church, invest in this church, we are influenced by that kind of stuff. And you can, it can start to creep into who you are, which is why we gather together in homes, which is why we gather together like this, to be reminded of the truth that comes from this book. And so John, writing into a context like that, he says, I'm going to set you straight because I knew Jesus. I know Jesus. Um, and just like you would check for, uh, to see if some, a person is alive, I check with a doctor. I, uh, maybe Chad's out with the kids. I don't know if you know. So if I get this wrong, blame Chad. Apparently, the vital signs you check for um, to see if someone's alive is you check, are they responsive? I don't know how you do that. Do you poke them? I don't know, or something. Maybe poke them, see if they're alive. I'll just speak to them. I could probably just speak to them. Uh, are they responsive? Are they breathing? And do they have a pulse? And those are the very, very basic vital signs. Those are the things you check for to see if someone is alive. And so just like that, uh, John gives us these vital signs for the church. He said, these are the things you check for to see if you're actually alive in Christ, to see if the church actually is following Jesus. And we're going to come across these things over and over and over again. And let me tell you, they're nothing to do with how well painted your building is. They're nothing to do with how good your social media presence is. They're nothing to do with how trendy the music is or how well known the pastor is. None of that stuff. Those are no indicators, no real indicators of if the life of Christ is in the church. The things that John gives us in this letter, and we're going to keep coming back to them over and over again in this book. Firstly, he says, is there right belief in Jesus? Are you believing the right things about Jesus? Do you believe? You say you love Jesus. Do you actually believe he was the son of God? Secondly, are we, is there right obedience to God? In other words, are you, obeying the right, are you obeying the right things about God? You see, sometimes I think that we think that we're obeying God, but we're maybe just following tradition. Or maybe just following some stuff that people said that God said to do, and it's maybe not what God said to do at all. Is there right obedience to God? And thirdly, is there right love of one another? Because if the church is truly alive, and we're going to get to this later on, if the church is truly alive, then we will love one another, like brothers and sisters. So these are, the, as John encourages the church, he wants them to grow in faith and obedience and love. Right belief in Jesus, right obedience to God, and, and, and uh, right love of one another. And so... He start, as we start off on this journey as a church together, these are the signs of life that we're going to look for. These are good markers for us to have. If you want to write them on the inside of your Bible or on your notebook. Am I, am I, am I, am I actually, do I actually believe the right things about Jesus? Do I actually obey God? Do I actually love my brothers and sisters? But there's another thing about this letter that I want to point out before we get into today's uh, text. It can, whenever we start to delve into these things, it can kind of seem like a wee bit like a, a list of do's, a list of things that we have to do. Like, oh, well, you, uh, in order to be a good Christian, in order to have life in the church, you have to do these things. Uh, these are the things that make you have life. But you can't manufacture life, right? You can't, only the Holy Spirit does that. But it's not, so it's not about what we do, it's about what Jesus has done. This is the good news of the gospel. The gospel is just a word that the Bible uses. It means good news. And so when I say the gospel, what I'm really saying is uh, the good news about what Jesus has done. The message of the gospel is that I do nothing. 
that I've got nothing to bring to the table. Absolutely nothing. Nothing to bring to the table. I come empty-handed. I come in my filth. Well, I put on a nice shirt because my mommy was coming today, so I had to look. No, that's true. I actually did. I was like, I'll wear the, I'll wear the good shirt today. Um, and uh, so, so, so we come in our filthy rags. We come with our pain and our brokenness and our grief and our anger and our sin and all the, 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 all the stuff that's in our past. And we bring all that stuff. And we've got literally nothing to offer. But yet, what does the Bible tell us? The Bible t- tells us that Jesus takes all that stuff and he takes that on himself and in, in, in return he gives us his purity and his righteousness and his goodness and his love and his mercy that's what the that's what the gospel is and so this book of uh, this book of john this isn't a first uh, john this isn't about what we can do as christians this is what we do in response to what jesus has done for us and that's the message of the gospel and so let's get into it. i'm going to get a wee drink of water here um, let's get into our text this morning. Uh, I love this. I love that, that John, he's writing to this church that's, uh, and we're going to see there's division in the church. There's people walking away from the church. And where does he start? He starts with Jesus. He starts with Jesus. Why? Well, because where else would he start? Right? There is no other hope. Only Jesus. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. As we saw, Hebrew says that, that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. This is where John starts, and it's where we need to start. It's why we're starting our church here. I couldn't, I'd be doing you a disservice if I stood up here and talked about anything else today other than Jesus. I don't know why you came here today. Maybe your friends, family you want to support us is great. You're so welcome. Uh, Maybe uh, you're coming to see how we do the music, or maybe you want to check out a new church, see how we do things, or, or, or maybe you just fancy the change. I, I don't know why you're here. But let me tell you this. If you keep coming back here, the only thing you're going to find is that we talk about Jesus. That's all you're going to find. Nothing else to offer you. Actually, I say we've got nothing else to offer you, but in offering you Jesus, we're offering you everything. Because he's the good news. Listen, he's the reason we're here. And that's why we worship him. It's why we share him with everyone we meet. This is all about him. Don't for a second think that this has anything to do with this. I mean, we've, uh, the guys have done a great job in this place. It looks cracker. And, um, uh, and it's, but it's nothing to do with the building. It's nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with Tim and Leanne. It's nothing to do with what you want. It's nothing to do with any of the leaders. Nothing like that. It's, to do, it's all about Jesus. And if you, if you talk to any of us, We'll just point to Jesus. That's all we're going to do. And this is where John starts, and this is where we're going to start. So let's read verses 1 and 2 together. If you have a Bible, keep it open. If you don't have a Bible, come and see me afterwards, and I'll get you a Bible. Uh, Read verses 1 and 2 again. That which was from the beginning, that which was from the beginning, Jesus, we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. That means the life, Jesus, was made manifest, took on a form, took on human form, was made manifest, appeared. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. John is writing to encourage this church. And remember how we said he's, he wants them to have right belief about Jesus. That's our first vital sign that we're going to see as we go through this series. Right belief about Jesus. And there's two things that he, he points to. He's dying for them to understand two things. That Jesus is divine and Jesus is human. That is Jesus is God and Jesus is man. And they're both really important things. Uh, because if either of them aren't true, then we're all misguided. If either of them aren't true, then we're not saved. If either of them aren't true, then salvation doesn't exist. He has to be fully God and fully man. And we're going to see why. But let me tell you about what John, what was going on in these churches that John was writing to. There was this bunch of teachers around at the time called the Gnostics, right? You might have heard of the Gnostic Gospels, or, or you might have even heard of that word. Um, and it comes from this Greek word, which means knowledge. The word is gnosis, and it means knowledge. You can kind of see the relation to English even. And, and really what they were talking about was this promotion of knowledge and intellect, that that was more important than the physical world. And there's two parts to what they were teaching. And this, this teaching was going on in the church. This is why the church is divided. First, two parts to it. First, they believed, some of them believed that, that, 
that matter, right? Your physical, the physical world and your physical body was, was evil or at least was way less important than the, the, than the, spirit, the spiritual realm. Uh, so, so right um, for them, the, the, the body was something to escape from. The, the, the dirt and mire of the physical world was something to escape from. Now, we know that's not true, right? Because when God created the world, he said it was good. And when he created you and your body, he said it is very good. So don't have any body image issues because when God created you, he said it is very good. And secondly, they believed that, and they taught this, that, 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 that salvation came through a secret knowledge kind of thing, that you had to be taught the secrets and you had to elevate the mind over the body. And so the aim for these guys was to try and elevate yourself out of the muck and the mire of, of living in the physical world. And this kind of teaching was going around these churches that John was writing to. And there was division because some of, some of the churches had like broken away and started their own wee churches listening to this false teaching. And so John steps in. Wise old John. Right? Some people say he lived to be 100 years old. Isn't that incredible in those days? He lived to be 100. And, and, and he's this old, old man. And he comes in and he says, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. You're being deceived. If you believe that, you're being deceived. I love you, but you're being deceived. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And the first thing he says is, Jesus is divine. Jesus is the Son of God. And we need to believe this if we're to start off this church on the right foot. Now, because of these guys' belief about the physical realm being dirty and, and, and evil... They could never accept that Jesus was the Son of God. It just didn't make sense for them. And some of them were teaching, right? They had to, well, if this man, uh, maybe, um, maybe when Jesus was baptized, uh, that the Holy Spirit came in him and he was kind of anointed and then it left him as a crucifixion again. And that's kind of what they were teaching. And John says, that's not true. Jesus is God. Look at what he says. He says, the Son, of Je the Son Jesus Christ, verse 3, is, verse 1, that which was from the beginning. And is, verse 2, the eternal life that was with the Father. For him, Jesus, the man Jesus, is God. Is God in, and also man in human form. And if we're to have right belief about who Jesus is, if we're, if we're to actually say these things, that he's the one that this church is built on, and that we depend on him for, to sustain us and to save us and to lead us into eternal life and all that kind of stuff, then we need to understand who Jesus is. So let's be clear about this. Jesus Christ, who is the Father's Son, has always existed with the Father as God. I'll say that again to make it really clear. Jesus Christ, who is the Father's Son, has always existed with the Father as God. There's never been a time when God the Son has not been. And there never will be a time when He will not be. Jesus is the eternal God. This is what John believed. This is what Jesus taught about Himself, right? In, in, in John chapter 8, uh, Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. I am. And you're thinking, oh, that doesn't make sense. He's got his uh, grammar wrong. No. Uh, I don't know if you know this story, but Moses is an Old Testament uh, figure. And he, meets, he has this encounter with God. And, and you know what God said to him? G Moses asked him his name. And, and he says, I am who I am. Literally, he is the essence of life. He is. He always has been. No beginning, no end. He is. I am. And this is what Jesus says about himself. In John 10, Jesus says, the Father and I are one. The Father and I are one. In, in John 14, he tells Philip, one of his disciples, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. So he, Jesus obviously believed himself to be the Son of God. John believed, him to, to, John believed him to be the Son of God. And I'll tell you right now from the very beginning, this church believes him to be the Son of God. Amen. Otherwise, what are we doing here, right? If, if Jesus isn't the Son of God, then we're just a bunch of idiots following some dead guy who went around 2,000 years ago saying he was God. We're just misguided fools. Paul says we're to be most pitied. If the incarnation isn't true, the incarnation literally means when, when, when God took on human form. If the incarnation isn't true, if Jesus isn't the Son of God, then we might as well just pack up now and go home. I go to the pub or whatever because we're just misguided. But if Jesus is the Son of God, 
if Jesus really is the Son of God, if the incarnation is true, that changes everything. It changes absolutely everything because the truth is that Jesus is what John describes here, the word of life, the word of life made flesh. In this historical, like history-proven, historical man, Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter, the teacher, the prophet, the priest, the king, this man is the Son of God. There never was a time when he was not, and there never will be a time when he will not be. That sounds really complicated. It just means that he always has existed, and he always will exist. And this is why we depend on him. This is why we can depend on him for our eternal salvation. Right? Because he's God. This is why we're not wasting our time. And I'll tell you what, this is why the people of South Belfast need to hear about him. Because we know that this this world isn't all there is. Jesus is divine. And the other thing that John wants to teach them about and make sure they get clear is that Jesus is human. See, on the other side of what the the Gnostics were teaching, um, there was another school of thought that um, Jesus, if Jesus is divine, he's not really human. So some of them were just, some of them were teaching that he just appeared to be human, right? So he was like a ghost. They actually thought that maybe he was a ghost or like a phantom or like a, like a hologram, like a holy hologram. <laughs> just walk, he, wasn't, he wasn't really there. You couldn't touch him. He just appeared to be. That's what they were teaching. And I just imagine John, like, uh, you know, John getting a bit riled up at this. Maybe not because he was probably wiser and less... Uh, less of a bad temper than me, but, but he, I can imagine this, this getting him going because he knew Jesus. You know what I mean? He knew Jesus. He knew the man Jesus. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. In, in John's gospel, he actually says that he is the disciple that Jesus loved. And he, he, you'll notice, that, let's, look, let's look at the language he uses. You'll notice that in these four verses, he says, uh, we a lot, which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have looked upon. And the reason he's doing that is because he wants them to know that he's in line with the other apostles. It's not just him. John's not just some crazy guy going, yeah, I think my mate is God. No, that's not what he's doing. He's saying, there's a whole host of us who believe this and have walked with Jesus and have touched him and have seen him. And so the first thing he says is, we heard him with our ears. We heard him with our ears. And he repeats it three times. Not just because he was old and he was repeating himself, but because he was repeating it for emphasis, right? He wants them to understand that they've actually heard physically the words of Jesus. Secondly, he says, we have seen him with our own eyes. And again, he says this three times in the first three verses of this letter. And the phrase that he uses here uh, in our, in our, um, in, in our uh, English translation, it says, we have seen and we have looked upon. But what the words that he's using actually means uh, more than just that we have seen. It means that we have observed. We have observed with intent, an intentional observation. So what he's saying is like, listen, me and the lads, we followed him around for three years. We watched his every move. We, we intently watched him. And thirdly, he says, we have touched him with our own hands. See, Jesus was really flesh and blood. He really was flesh and blood. John hugged him. Probably on tons of occasions they hugged, as friends do. And then he says, we testify and declare, both present tense. And what he's saying is, listen, I've, I, I, I've heard him, I've seen him, I've touched him, so you can listen to my testimony. You can, I'm going to proclaim this. I testify and declare. I'm a reliable witness to this man. I've observed him and heard him and touched him. He is a real person. Jesus is a real man. Now, imagine this for a second. Imagine this. Uh, John, uh, John knew the shape of Jesus' face. Can you imagine that? John knew what his eyes looked like. Probably bright blue, obviously. Um, that's a joke. Just all the pictures seem to have Jesus has blue eyes, which is strange for a Middle Eastern man to me, but... He knew what Jesus' laugh sounded like. He, he knew what his hair looked like in the morning when he woke up. He knew what Jesus smelled like after he'd been walking for a long day in the hot sun. He knew what Jesus' favorite food was. He knew the sound of Jesus' voice as they sat around the, 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 the fire at night just chatting. He knew what it was like to have Jesus call him by name. John. Yeah, Jesus, can you imagine how normal that would have been for those guys? Jesus, what is it? 
Can you imagine that? He knew Jesus. And this man who knew Jesus intimately, one of his best friends, says, Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God and he is fully human. Listen, if we are to start off on the right foundation, if we're to have right belief in Jesus, then we need to understand this. That the Son of God became flesh and took on full humanity. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't an illusion. He wasn't a hologram. He was a real human being. In the beginning, it's the same language as he uses in, as he starts his gospel. And what does he say there? He said, word became flesh. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully God. He's not half God and half man. He's not all God and no man. He's not all man and no God. He is the God man. And we need to grasp this because the reality of our salvation depends on it. John Stott, uh, he, he's, he's this uh, theologian, pastor, and he's, he's passed away now. But, but he says, it, when he's writing this, he says, For the Gnostics to describe the eternal Son as having flesh and blood was unthinkable. But to John, it is at the heart of our salvation. Why is it the heart of our salvation? Well, let me tell you, because it was his body that was broken for us. And his blood that was shed for us. Without a body and without blood, he can't, he can't sacrifice himself for us, right? And later on, we're going to take bread and wine, the bread representing his body that was, that was broken for us and, and his blood that was spilled for us. If Jesus isn't the Son of God, then his, his, his body broken and his bloodshed means nothing. He's just another criminal that died on the cross. And there were thousands of them in those days. But... If Jesus is the Son of God, then his body broken and his blood shed means everything because it means that in the person of Jesus Nazareth, the eternal became tangible so that we could touch God. Isn't that amazing? The eternal became tangible so that we could touch God. Incredible. Everything starts and ends with Jesus. And we need to have this right. We need to, listen guys, I'm speaking to you especially right now if you're not a visitor if you're part of our church, we need to have this stuff right. We need to have this belief right. We, we do believe that. We believe that Jesus is real. We, be, we believe that Jesus is a man. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that it was his body broken, his blood shed for us. Jesus is divine and Jesus is human. Now, I've been talking for a while and nothing wrong with me and that. I keep talking all day, but as we start to bring this to a close, there's a couple more things I want to bring out. Actually, I say bring it to a close. I'm, I'm probably about halfway through. <laughs> probably. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I'm starting to get hungry. Um, why does Jesus start, or why does John start here? Why is it so important for him? Because he could have just let these churches go on and do their thing, right? And, and have their teaching and, and philosophize and all that kind of stuff. But why does he start here? Well, I think that John gives us in these first four verses two really clear reasons. Let's read verses three and four together again. That which we have seen and heard, okay, so we've talked about that. John has seen and heard flesh and blood. We proclaim also to you. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father with his, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things that so, so that our joy may be complete. So firstly, we, uh, John wants to point out that Jesus uh, was, became, that God the Son became flesh and blood so that we can have fellowship. We can have fellowship so that you too can have fellowship with us. You see, John loved the church. He loved the church. And, and, and for John, you can't love Jesus and not love the church. I have friends who say, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. But, but how can you love Jesus and not love his body, right? I'm not saying the church is perfect. By the way, if you're here looking for the perfect church, then you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> Firstly, because I'm the one that's up here, but you know, let's not get into that right now. For John, you can't love Jesus and not love the church. And this fellowship he talks about, the fellowship with one another 
It's more, uh, it's more than just like a friendship group. It's more than just a community group. It's more than just people you play football with. It's more than just your mums and tots group. It's more than, than whatever those kind of groups that you have, right? It's more than that. The actual word that he uses here for fellowship is this, uh, this word in the ancient Greek, which means actually it describes the most intimate bond that human beings can have. It's actually the word that they would have used to talk about a marriage relationship or family relationship, right? Isn't that incredible? So, so what he's saying, this is how John describes the church. This is how we're to exist with one another as the church in Jesus. We're supposed to be as close to one another as family are. Um, there's this historian uh, from, from not long after the time of John, you know, from the really early days, and he's writing all these things about the early church down. And he tells a story about John in the church at Ephesus. And John's really, really old. And so they wheel him out um, or they carry him out and set him in front of the church because um, he's too frail to go up and preach a sermon. And, and uh, he would say this thing over and over again. He would say, uh, little children. So I love that there was someone in the old, uh, old enough in the church that was able to call them little children. And, 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 you know, the church is made up of people from babies right through to old, old age, and, and so we, we, need, we need older people. We need people that are older and wiser than I am. But he would get up and he would say, little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. And eventually, he would do this so often that apparently what happened was uh, a few people in the church, probably people like me who are know-it-alls or whatever, would, went to him and were like, John, like, that's cool and all, like, but why do you keep saying the same thing over and over again? Why are you saying love one another? And this is what he said. This is what the historian records him as saying. Because this is the Lord's command, and if this is all you do, it's enough. Isn't that credible? Now, I'm not saying that that historian's scripture, that's not what I'm saying, but what he has written down agrees with scripture because this is what Jesus tells us to do in John 13. He says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You can't say you love Jesus and not love the church. So not only are we to love each other for our joy and our benefit, but it means that our love for one another actually shows the world what Jesus is like, shows the world that we're different, shows the world that something about us because of the way we love one another. It literally means that as we exist as church as family, that's actually a missional thing. We live as a church, church as family is actually a missional act within itself because we love each other. Our love for one another is a sign that we're Jesus' disciples. And that means that we bear each other's burdens. That means that we care for one another. That means that we, we we're generous with our time and our money and our affections for one another. That means that we forgive each other when we hurt each other. And, and we will hurt each other because we're only human. We're going to get offended with each other. But it means that we forgive each other. It means that we lavish each other with grace time and time and time again. It means that we don't just uh, love the people or hang out with the people we naturally get on with. It means that everybody's welcome. It means that we put the same amount of time and energy into everyone in this family. Listen, I want to start off by saying this. I, I want us to start off on this journey. This community, this church community, isn't a community for community's sake. We're a community for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. And that's why we love each other. But there's another part to this, um, there's another part to this fellowship. Look at the second half of verse 3. Um, indeed, our fellowship is with, with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, right? Now, Christianity is different from every other religion in the world. Why? <laughs> because <laughs> Christianity brings us into relationship with our God. We have a, a personal relationship. You see this word that I've just talked about, the most intimate word for relationship? That's the same word that John says is our relationship with Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Actually, when, when the Bible talks about marriage and describing marriage, it actually says that that's what our relationship with Jesus is like. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So in the same way that uh, Finley, who's four, runs up to me and shouts, Daddy, that's what we get to do with God. And unlike me, thankfully, 
God is never too tired to pick, pick us up. He's never too grumpy to tell, be quiet, and go and sit down and watch TV or something. He's never asleep, so he doesn't, it's not like he ever hears him when he, we crawl in his bed at 3 o'clock in the morning. I always hear him, don't worry. I don't. This is our Father. This is the type of relationship we have. We have a relationship with one another, but we, more importantly, we have a relationship with the Father. This is what Jesus has done for us. We have relationship. I, I know I'm laboring the point, but I want you to get this. We have relationship with the almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. And he allows you to call him daddy. Isn't that incredible? That's good news. And listen, if you're not a Christian this morning, why wouldn't you want that? You can have that. This invitation's open to you too. And this is the great thing that we get to declare to South Belfast. Finally then, he writes this so that our joy will be complete. Verse 4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be, may be complete. Um, I was thinking about times in my life that I felt like, you know, just, well, just joy, right? So one was when we cycled into Paris, um, cycling from uh, Belfast to Paris. That's a wee humble brag. Um, cycled from Par- Belfast to Paris. And it, we, there was this point where we were just like cycling over the bridge and you could see the Eiffel Tower. And we were just like all buzzing, like, you know, just, and we were all beat up and limping and everything. Um, and, uh, but just that, just feeling the full joy. And then I was like, now there must be, like, is that the most joyful I felt? And then I remembered I have two children. So, <laughs> uh, uh, the funny thing is, like, when both of them were born, <laughs> uh, I was crying so much, it was like I was the one that had been in labor. <laughs> uh, just so much joy that this wee thing is, oh, uh, I mean, I can't talk about it now, I'll get emotional, but um, these moments of absolute joy. But here's the thing. Even in those moments, your joy isn't complete, right? Because that joy fades away. That joy is momentary. It doesn't last. It's not the fullness of joy. And John says that he's writing these things so we can have complete joy, not partial joy. And this is the type of joy that Jesus gives us. This is why Jesus became flesh, so that we could have complete joy. Now, bear with me for a second. I don't want you thinking that I am saying that we need to go around being happy, clappy people all the time. Like, if you've just lost your job, you're supposed to be still smiling and happy like a moron. No, that's not what we're saying. I'm not saying that at all. We're not oblivious to the pain and suffering and tragedy when it comes. But what I am saying... When, when, uh, what I am saying is the joy that we have in Jesus, complete joy means that when the hard times do come, right? So when you do lose your job or, or, or you get diagnosed with cancer or, or someone you love dies, and those are the harshest moments in life that you can think of. It means that our hope remains because our hope isn't based on what's going on in our lives. Our hope is based on the fact that, that God himself took on flesh so that we could have eternal relationship with him. A good friend of mine uh, described this as unseasonable joy, and he uses this analogy. It's like when it snows in wintertime. Uh, people in California, you'll not be familiar with this, uh, but when it snows in wintertime, if you dig down in the snow and scrape back the snow, the grass is still green underneath. Why? Because it doesn't get its nutrients from the, from the snow that's went it down on top. It gets its nutrients from where its roots are in the soil. And we don't get our joy from the pain and and suffering and hurt that's all around us and weighing us down. We get our joy from the fact that we are rooted and grounded in in the love of Christ. And that never fails. Just ask Lucas, right? His joy isn't dependent on how his chemo goes tomorrow. No, that'd be a stupid thing to put your joy in because that could go either way, right? Not to scare you, but it could. None of us know. Lucas's joy is based on the fact that he's in intimate relationship with Jesus. And that never fails, that never changes. And this is why we have unseasonable joy. Now, listen, I want you to be clear. We have unseasonable joy that can never be taken away. It doesn't mean we don't get sad. It doesn't mean we won't feel pain. But it means that when we do get sad, when we do feel pain, when we are hurting, our hope remains secure. Listen, if you're a Christian this morning... your circumstances can't take away your joy. Your job can't take away your joy. Tragedy can't take away your joy. The devil can't steal your joy. 
Because your joy comes from the fact that you are in eternal, intimate relationship with the almighty God of heaven. This is the message that this church is based on. I'm nearly done. I am done. And if you keep coming back here week after week, you're just going to hear the same thing. Because what else would I say? This is the only thing that's worth repeating and nothing else is worth saying. If you're not a Christian, I want to make it clear to you as well. We're so glad that you're here. We love that you're here. And I'd love to, if, you're, if you don't know Jesus, like I'd love to grab a coffee with you or, or come and talk to me. But, but the invitation is there. This joy, unspeakable, is open to you. Because all the things that you're looking for to put your joy in, they're not going to last. You're not going to find complete joy there. The only, thing that, the only way to find complete joy is in Jesus. Because he's the only thing that won't let you down. It's the only way to have unspeakable joy. So Jesus was fully God, fully man, gave himself, took on flesh, gave himself up so that he could die on a cross so that we could have fellowship with each other and with him and so that our joy will be complete. We're going to come to the table and, and we're going to uh, take the Lord's uh, Supper together. Uh, I maybe just said a bunch of stuff that you don't understand um, and I want to be careful about that. So uh, as Christians, uh, Jesus gave us this symbolic meal of bread and wine. And the bread, we're going to break the bread and we're going to tear bits off and we're going to dip it in the wine. And that's a reminder that Jesus, actual human, actual human body, not, not, not a symbolic, actual human body was broken and he bled for us so that we could enter into this intimate relationship with him. That's what this church is built upon. That's what you're going to hear time and time and time again if you keep coming back here. That's what we're going to talk about as we meet together in our homes. That's what we're going to talk about when we go to the pub or go to the cafes or whatever we do. That's what we're going to share with the people around these neighborhoods. And don't forget the people of, the, the people of South Belfast need us to love one another well. So let's remind ourselves this morning that Jesus' actual body and actual blood was broken and shed for us. Uh, I'm going to ask the band to come up again. And we're going to sing while we do this. Um, as you, if you're a Christian today and, you, and, and this, this meal is open to you, just come forward. Tim and Leanne are going to be right here at the front. And as you take this, as you tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the wine, you're going to hear the words spoken to you. The body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. This is what our church is built on. This is what our hope is built on. And this is what we're going to continue to do as we move forward every week until as long as we're here, which we pray is a long, long, long time. Because nothing else is worth doing. Nothing else is worth declaring. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that you uh, lowered yourself, took on flesh, took on actual flesh and blood, Jesus, so that we could have fellowship with each other, but, but also fellowship with you. Lord, I pray that as we come to your table now, Lord, you remind us of that, the truth of that, that our hope is here because our hope is in you. Father, I pray that um, we, would, we would just know uh, that we can come to you with all our burdens, with all our hurt, with all our pain. Because you've dealt with all of that, and our eternal hope is secure. Father, I pray for those who don't know you yet, Lord, that you would speak to them even right now. Jesus, would you just be glorified as we, uh, as we take this meal together for your glory. Amen.